almost missing the, the your cue. What's that? Oh, um, no, I thought you were going to say after your name, you were going to say, uh, I'm a podiatrist working in Canberra. That's what I was oh, waiting for. that's right. I've forgotten that part of the intro. <laughs> Welcome everyone to a, another Real Clinicians Real Chats. My name's Alex Murray. I'm a podiatrist and rehabilitation coach based in Canberra. And I'm Kit Wisdom. I'm a physiotherapist currently studying a somatic psychotherapy based in Melbourne, Australia. And now we are a solely reflections-based podcast. Woo! Nothing's nothing prepared tremendously beforehand. Got no. Oh. How do you start this now? I love it. Feel really comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> While I'm just over here being like, what do I say next? What do I say next? <laughs> as as the person that always tries to facilitate. Yeah. To make everything perfect. You do. It's okay. It's okay to be messy here, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> but like that is the that is the point, showing everyone that it's not all sunshine and rainbows. I do like sunshine though. It's mm-hmm. been good. Actually that was that was lovely about a day off yesterday, Anzac Day. Was the was the sunshine? Why are you dating the podcast? <laughs> oh, sugar! <laughs> Sorry. No, that's okay. We actually do upload these pretty quickly, so it's not it's like this one's going to get done. Are we month. worried that we're going to be judged for uploading three weeks later? <laughs> <laughs> Potentially. Okay. Um, so I'm just wondering what what is our reflection? What are, what are we going to talk about today? Well, you went to a pain conference and we thought that that might bring up some some nice juicy morsels to kind mm. of discuss. Um, but we can start with a reflection on our last reflection if you want. How did you feel after just doing our first one back in back in the swing in April? It felt nice. Yeah. It felt like we were capturing the actual chats that we have on air. Oh, sorry, off air. Yeah. And then you, then we go on air and we became a lot more rigid. Mm. Yeah. How did you feel? Yeah, I felt similar. Um, still classic, some nerves around just putting something out into the, you know, ether. Um, but yeah, I felt like a little bit of liberation, I think. Um a nice little sense of potential where before there was perhaps um, not that there wasn't potential but it just felt like a little bit of a different um, kind of like a different sense to it quality to it Mm. yeah it's interesting because I guess from very early on in my career I got taught not 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 meaningfully in and in this frame but I got Mm. sort of taught to perform mm. like what you could do is you roll up and it's like patient has this condition has this presentation and you sort of part of it was doing the theatrics of it was it was very from a from a clinician who taught me who was not very well versed in um psychological components of, mm. of therapy and therapeutic relationship I was taught to perform he said you go through the ritual and you go through this and you do that and it was just billed as this is how you get better outcomes but it's interesting because when we translate it to this sort of theme as well, I'm very much used to, I feel in comparison to you, very more comfortable with a, with a script. And I also feel comfortable without a script. You sort of always just, because it was always taught ready to to jump in and, and, and perform. It's life. really interesting. Yeah. Do you get a sense of what it feels like for you when you do put on like the performing suit or you do shift into that? Like, have you got an awareness of what you do differently? I guess it's, it's thinking about what the other person needs and wants to hear and, or not so much wants to hear, but would benefit from hearing. And it Mm. sort of just helps structure. 
Uh, so whether yeah. I have whether I have a script or not a script, I you sort of just enter this sort of mode where you're like hyper focused on the other person or hyper focused on an outcome. Yeah, right. And it's, so it's sort of it's a it's a nice sort of like narrowing in a way. So, so it, it feels kind of um, like a directive or kind of safer for you. Is that what I'm hearing? It feels like it sort of quietens the other stuff going on. Uh-huh. But that's the thing, right? Like when it's it's a it's a broad dampening of other sounds. Mm. And we think about the other sounds can also just be things that might take you off track. If you've got this outcome and if you've got, that you're working towards and you've got a narrower field of vision, it's like um, my puppy running after something at once. It's just mm. not going to listen to you screaming in the background. It's just solely focused on chasing that thing down and that that's not that you know when i went to performing mode it's like that imagery or that that feeling of like doggedly going after something but it does sort of narrow that vision it narrows the other inputs that you're getting and a lot of that can also be the things that cause doubt Mm -hmm. sort of just that keeping busy sort of mindset you just need to keep moving you don't think about the the other things yeah, well, my brain wonders about what we could be missing that's, like, really relevant or, um, you know, mm. insightful or leads to, um, you know, when you said, I don't want to get off track, my brain was like, what if there's really cool stuff off track, though? <laughs> but, and and that's, that's exactly what I've realised now. Like, when I watch younger clinicians work, I mean, and, and that's sort of what's been happening over time is I've been opening up that vision or I've, I'm, as I'm mm. learning more and more and more, I've still got that performing side of it, but I'm also now looking. It's it's the difference between potentially even like a, like a junior comedian that can't really read an audience, and then comedian who is reading an audience. They've got an outcome and they've got the material, but they're they're sort of learning the skills to to go off that track and learning mm. the skills to bring back. But I guess the question is is do we have to start from such a narrow track? Because yeah, like what I said, what I see with a lot of new grads that come in is they're just so doggedly focused on this this outcome, they're missing things that now, to me, seem blatantly obvious. But I guess the question is, is do we have to go through this process or should we be developing people that feel that they're not just walking into a consult with a very specific outcome? Well, yeah, and I imagine, uh, you know, there could be some really uh, interesting potential resources that come from, like, exploring doubt or like your experience of doubt, like you said, you know, quietening the noise and having the the narrowing helps with the with your doubt. You know, that's something, that, again, that's so strong in me, when, which comes forward, like in situations like podcasts, you know, is that that part of me that, that just wants to question everything that I say. So my inner narrative is just, you know, critical or just wants to go, you can't possibly have got that right or how could that make sense or... You know, and I think that, you know, if we go back to um, scenarios when I was a new grad and further in for a long time, like that was the dominant experience I was having. And, you know, when you kind of sit in that and wonder, okay, yes, I've got this outcome I'm trying to reach and my experience is kind of pervaded by doubt. I really now have compassion for me back then because like, how was I doing my job? You know, how is I doing it in a way where it's quality or really truly listening to the person in front of me and trying to hold all the complexity or just figure out what the next step was? You know, I think that's a fascinating potential exploration is our experience of doubt. Well, I wonder as well when we think about how we develop new clinicians, so much of it is just focused on the outcome, right? What you write on the paper, the the, the product essentially that you are delivering, whether that's an mm. exercise program, whether that's an orthotic, whether that's a footwear prescription, it is focused so much on, on an outcome and it is, does become a product focus because that is, if you think about, and you know, I don't envy universities and having to, to think about ways to evaluate people because ultimately it is about mm. safety, right? You are safe to perform this and so it becomes easy to package it as more like a product and is this product safe? But that doesn't work to develop confident clinicians. I think that's what we're we're identifying there is that you don't have someone working, coming into a space and going, I feel really 
calm and confident that I have whatever knowledge and skills that I have, we can, we know that they're not, maybe not as complete as other more experienced clinicians, but they go, I feel calm, confident, collected with what I know and what I can do for people and that I can handle new situations. No, we end up with people coming in going, is this right? Is this not right? Or, mm. or I find, and there are people that are exceptions to this always, like people who have come in naturally, you know, good temperaments or have just these skills uh, in the bag. But then I also see the flip side of people being too overconfident. Mm. But the benefit of overconfidence is that, you know, if you walk into a room and you're very confident, there's a significant amount of people that will just fall in line with what, with what you're doing, get sort of swept up and will get good outcomes because mm. they have someone at the helm going, yes, I'm confident this is going to happen. Now, obviously it can all fall apart, but I can see that that being a really good buoyant for, for some people to be overconfident. Mm. Well, and I think the more that we learn about this space and, and who we chat to and, and what we read, you know, I think the more it's becoming really clear to me is this is a developmental process. Like, um, uh, you know, Shelley Barlow talks to... Um, which I think for me, again, gives a sense of like, oh, it's okay that you might not have these things developed or, or we're chipping away at them or it's part of the becoming of a, of a mature clinician uh, or just a mature human. You know, I think we were chatting a couple of weeks ago around a podcast I sent you. Um, I can't remember mm. the name of it right now. because I was going to rely on you because I'm thinking the same thing. Duh. Oh, I'll find it. But, but essentially that, that awesome... Um, Australian uh, neuroscientist who became a psychiatrist over in California, but he gave a beautiful kind of podcast description about how he muddled along in his personal development. But one of the big things for him was actually understanding that adults can personally develop, you know, and I think that was something that you said really landed with you was around just this sense of we don't just stop developing at 18, you know, or you know, we've got these stages in life that we can continually um, evolve and and grow and and that it takes certain things, but there's this potentiality there. Well, so I found that it is uh, Becoming oh. Wise with Dr. Roger Walsh. That's right. Uh, the Being Well podcast. Yeah. And well, the biggest thing that I thought was, was the most interesting about that when he was talking about development or, or developing over time was that actually you reach a point where course, at the starting point of your development, you believe what you're being told. Mm -hmm. And so he talked about it uh, with a religious example, um, which we're not going to get into the, the weeds of, <laughs> but it was really interesting. The reason why, why he did that, because he said, when you roll, when you, when he started in part of development, he said, you know, you get these messages and you believe and you have yeah. faith. And then he said, a normal part of development is to start questioning what you've been told and to start mm. questioning everything. Mm -hmm. And what was interesting for these people in, a, in this religious context was that that was treated like they were a pariah, that they were questioning the teachings of whatever the religion was. And mm. it was seen as this really negative thing. But for what is it was it's a normal part of development that if we're not questioning things if we're not reaching our own conclusions if we're not pushing the boundaries then we're not actually developing or actually we're really fighting against our own biology but that is kind of what what happens in probably you know a lot more cults <laughs> than <laughs> than you know when we when we talk about there's certain areas of of religion where that does that but really when we think about the parallel with undergrad, mm. postgrad, with how we teach, which is this is what the facts are. And I mean, that is just part of, unfortunately, the way the teaching model is. These are mm. the facts. This is what you learn. This is what you write in the test. But we are learning in a field that is constantly moving, adapting, that we don't know everything. So we've got this interesting sort of juxtaposition. And I can see a lot of people get lost when they sort of go into that questioning sort of stage because it does start to challenge the foundations of which they're building their treatments on. I, I went to an explain pain course back in like 2018 and I remember 
I, I had no idea. It was a very funny story because I had no idea really who or how famous David Butler was. And so I just roll up as this this just guy that's just dominating a lot of com- conversation because I'm like, I don't get this. What is going on? And everyone else is sort of fawning, oh, believe, you know, believing, not so much believing, but sort of going, oh, I mean, this guy has a lot of wisdom where they're trying to just absorb as much. And I'm just sitting there with my pen and my paper going, mate, this is nuts. You are challenging everything that I know is true. And I remember at the end of the course, I was like, mate, what am I supposed to do on Monday? Mm. Like tomorrow in 12 hours. Well, even there, like what's going on in your brain? Like what was the experience of being like everything that you know, being your world being rocked? Like what was that experience like? Frightening. Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah, it was like, like that was the question. I was like, what am I supposed to do now? Because like yeah. we've sort of, it's sort of like going through boot camp and sort of they did the breakdown bit, but they didn't do the rebuild your back up. Of your analogies, if that's what they're called. Uh, oh, my brain's have... going, like my brain's going somewhere and then you go, it's like boot camp and my brain goes. <laughs> <laughs> but that is what boot camp they is. They're just like, they break out all of these norms and they build you back up and, you know, it's sort of like they miss the build up back, which I, which I have learned subsequently is a common experience from, from that course. And like, I do kind of like it from the perspective of it kind of shocks people into being like, there's so much out there and like, like you need to go and do work, but I, I don't always feel like it always. Well, and even, way. I don't know, for me hearing like the break you down to build you back up, oh, that still feels like it's got a element of, um, violence is the wrong word, but like an element of what is it like force or something um and to me i wonder around i wonder around that sort of an approach where it's like yeah we're gonna shock you to your core and then chuck you back together again i think i should should be um very clear that that was my personal experience that was not the intention and i've i have since learned that other people have had the similar experience but no it was an incredibly friendly incredibly nice environment and they were just working towards and going okay this is what we assume about pain and this is actually how it works and it's just that if you have been taught or or really not taught and your entire understanding of pain is built upon assumptions someone very expertly explaining why those assumptions don't hold true and presenting new evidence kind of makes things crumble yeah um my brain wants to have then a session around holding the crumbling world because isn't that what we're trying to help people have to navigate is that we will undoubtedly again and again and again have our worlds crumbled but are we creating the skills and the resources and the spaces to slow down and kind of explore how that actually is an experience Mm. um i suppose what comes up for me when you talk is um a bit more of a more recent experience in the uh, learning about um the Hakomi somatic psychotherapy that I'm doing Um, because obviously we're learning content, we're learning experiential, um, experientially, and we do a lot of reflection and it's obviously um, a lot of it is exploring our own experiences as a way to learn. But what I love about, I love lots of things about how they set up the learning environment, but one of the things that I really appreciate and enjoy is about day two or three, they'll just give a three-hour whole morning session to just allowing whatever's coming up. So whatever's bubbling up, whether it's, you know, like, holy shit, this is all makes my brain break and I'm not sure what to do, or this feels really great, or this is uncomfortable. So they just provide a space for us and our grappling brains and minds and bodies, you know, to just be with what's there. And from that, lots of learning kind of emerges. Um, and I just found that so valuable as an experience to A, be exposed to in a learning environment, B, have my peers have it at the same time. Um, and then my brain obviously like goes, how cool would this be if it happened in, you know, physio courses or Mm. other courses? Like it immediately goes to what could, what could, what could happen if this was part of 
curriculum or part of the structure and design of, of our learnings. It's interesting because I think that that would be incredibly helpful because so much of what um, I sort of hear from people or when they come in and do observations is that there's there's a lot of people being not sure mm. and there's not a lot of outlet to have these chats. All the outlets are not, uh, not so much they need to be controlled, but they're not in a way that are guided mm. by someone who has skills and experience and, and can actually provide that, the, the, the right guidance to people. Mm. I see a lot of that can be, you know, taken out in other courses, you know, the big getting tools, oh, I'm not sure I'm feeling really stuck. I don't know. I'm going to go do this course with all these tools. And I can see that's when like certainty narratives come in. Oh, you just need to do this. Oh, here's the plan. Here's the, this. Yeah. Let's explore the stuckness instead. That's what mm. my brain says. <laughs> yeah. It is, it is kind of wild when you think about it, that you're teaching people how to work on others and there's not an environment where people can bring up their questions and concerns. And there may be, there, there might've been, and this is the interesting thing, right? Like there may have been that, or it was an environment that may have tried to be created, but I don't mm. remember that. There's nothing mm. in my mind that, that when I reflect back and that's kind of the funny thing, right? Like if you go to, you know, any, any sort of university school and you look at the curriculum and you go, wow, and actually it is covered. Wow. Actually they did do this or they did do that, but mm. did they do it in a way that we were able to absorb it? Were they doing it in a way that was helpful? And I, this is the whole reason why, you know, medicine has internship residency. They have years and years and years of supervision. Mm. It's because there is the expectation that you don't just get it all and then off you go. The expectation mm. is that you can learn it and then you have to use it. And you have all of these experiences that force you to use all that knowledge and go back and reflect and have supervisors. And Well, I think what's, what's coming up for me as you chat there is I go back to that Hakomi experience. And I think the first time it happened, because it was quite a, it made quite an impact on my whole, you know, body, mind. And I think the thing that my um, maybe um, more kind of subconscious or my implicit kind of spidey senses was noticing was that they, the two people who were facilitating, just kept giving more time and space and silence. Like at no point did they go, okay, that's, you know, that's, we're going to cut that off there. That's all we've got time for now. There was this sense of space and just allowing, and they were sort of like looking around the room and you know, tracking us all and kind of going, is there something else that needs to come up here? You know, is there something else? They, it was really interesting for me to experience that kind of, um, I'm trying to think what word it was, but like, it's like my body was waiting for kind of the shutdown or the, that's all we've got time for, or, you know, it's just a brief 10 minute question, question time at the end. It was this real sense of like the value of listening to what might be coming up. Um, I think that was a really impressed on me quite a lot. The value is in, it's almost like we're treating the value as being the answers in a lot mm. of courses and a lot of things is that you're going to ask a question and we're going to have an answer rather than the value in being the space and the time for people to be able to question and explore and feel comfortable in this learning space. Mm. And quite often what I, the other thing, just as you're talking, my brain clicked into quite a few times when people got the microphone and, and they were like, I'm not really sure what I'm going to say here, but I'm noticing something. And I think that sense to me is I never really wanted to ask a question in physio courses because I didn't actually know what I wanted to ask. I had a sense that I was confused, but I didn't have a well-formed question in my mind that I don't want to risk looking vulnerable and silly and stupid going, um, uh, you know, so I didn't ask questions. Whereas I think again, this space of like, so I'm really noticing like I'm fuzzy in the head or I'm not grasping what you're saying, you know, and being able to be given the space again to be like, okay, there's some wisdom here, or let's just sit in your experience together. All of us can sit in the fuzziness, you know, and, and let's just see what that's like. 
Um, so again, there was this piece for me around how I would ask questions and or not, or how I would explore. And this, again, piece for me around, I ended up doing a lot on my own inside because I didn't feel comfortable or like I, my questions or my mumblings or my wonderings were going to be held. Um, and I now understand about me, I have a, quite a deep need for people to understand me. And if they don't, I get quite dysregulated and need them to understand me. Um, so, you know, even just all, even just out of all of those experiences, kind of, it was quite an isolating and lonely experience because A, I didn't put my wonderings outside, kept it all inside and was worried about, you know, being seen as silly, questioning when I shouldn't, you know, the dogma. But then again, like, was someone just going to give me a certain answer that wasn't actually about generating something new? Um, I've just gone on there for a little bit. Well, it's interesting because I think that's a very common sort of experience. Like when I teach workshops or when I'm on webinars and I'm asking for questions, there's almost no one. Mm. Everyone's kind of shocked. Actually, what we do in, in workshops now is that we we give people um, like rewards for asking questions. Okay. Oh, really? Like a lolly? What do you yeah. give them? Well, we got shoes? Hey, 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 hey. We're not all made of money here. Um <laughs> Old pair of Alex's shoes. <laughs> just, just whatever's in whatever's in a bag I find in the back of my car. <laughs> just like we rattle it around. It's a lucky diff. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. Um, no, no idea though. No, but it was, it, and it, the idea was to sort of go to provide a little bit of a reward, and then there was there's always someone that's going to ask a question, start asking a question, and then we explore that and we have the time and we, we, we try and we try and do this. There is, there is unfortunately that element of like how much we want to cover, but the mm. idea is, is that like, it's such like a common experience that we've had to create a method of saying, Hey, someone ask a question, sort of break the seal and we'll show you that we're just not going to like put you in your space, put you in a, in a space or give you a terrible answer. We're going to have, this is going to evolve into some form of a dialogue. So my brain goes to like threat and reward parenting, <laughs> which, you know, does not work with my kid, will never work with my kid, will never work with me as a person. Um, but I'm just wondering, that's where my brain went around that, which I can pre completely appreciate the trying to, you know, ease someone into, you know, a small crunchy bar for a, for a question. But I suppose it speaks to the bigger point around, um, you know, safety or mm. implicit safety or, or felt sense of safety to be able to ask or be heard or, you know, put yourself out there. We are always fighting against the idea of, well, one, the, the ingrained nature of, of how everyone's been taught. We're not going to overcome that meaningfully in a course um, okay. on one weekend, even if that is the explicit point of the course. But at the same time, people come to a course for specific information as well. Like we're fighting against these norms. So I guess that that's what came up for me in your reflection was I feel like what you are talking about is that feeling and internalizing. It seems to be very common because it's not like we're all out here um, just being really confident and asking questions. Hmm. You know, I watch, you know, to go back to the conference, I was watching, you know, heaps of these, you know, really amazing sort of um people at the top of their field researchers and if you are and what they ended up doing was they ended up having a an app mm -hmm. that actually allowed people to ask questions because when they asked for questions or they got people to put their hand up people didn't feel as safe they were much more safe writing it out putting it on a putting yeah. it on an app so like it is you know it's happening to everyone in every space mm. I wonder what's going to, like, I wonder if we'll look for those, you know, those lovely little workarounds, like writing it down and putting it out. Like, I love those suggestions, but I also wonder if there's going to be any kind of attention to how we might create more, um, you know, connection safety. Mm. Um, how does the environment inform what we're doing? How does the the intentionality of the facilitators, you know, what are they modeling? You know, I think there's so much to look at here um, that I think, you know, a sim I love those little little um, 
you know, little mini solutions, but I also don't think that they're the, I say the big solution. No, it would absolutely not. But it's, it's, this is sort of the difficulty of trying to work within a system because there, there is the inner anarchist in me that it's like, burn it all down, start again. But then at the same time, you sort of like change is slow and incremental and you can, I think it's, it's all about making the decisions that hold with your values because there is ways to work within a system that work with your values rather than, you know, if I'm thinking about the workshop is designing a workshop mm. that has no space for questions. There only has a very tight space that, you know, we're working in a way that the, the, the show must go on and the, tra- you know, we must keep the train chugging along on this track. Therefore, we're going to put people down or put them in their, in their place. No, you design things with the ability to start asking these questions and, and exploring these things and, and, you know, having people that present that are confident in their delivery that they can mix and match what's happening. If someone wants to have a discussion now, but, they, but actually, well, they're confused about something now and you need to draw something in from, you know, what is might be three sort of uh, chapters away, you can mm. sort of start to do that and you can start to to piece it together for people. Uh, I think that's, there's like things, but I, 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 I wouldn't want people to leave with the idea that I'm advocating when I say work within a system is a work against your values. It might just, it, it's more about if we're having to be in a society and work within a system, it's how do we do that that still hold our values true and how do we manipulate the system within its constraints to mm. be able to make incremental change. Yeah. So do you want to, have you got any reflections on this theme then around the pain conference? You mentioned a couple earlier before we were on air. <laughs> it was very interesting because what we ended up talking about, I think kind of really relates to the conference. Hmm. So the conference is the uh, Australasian, it was Australian, I think it's the Australasian Pain mm-hmm. Society uh, Conference, and it was held here in Canberra, which was very good for me um, because I have a new puppy and uh, I could spend the whole time going backwards and forwards. But um, nice. no, it was, <laughs> uh, no, I say all this, we just put her in daycare for most of the days. It was great. <laughs> she had the best time. She was always so excited to go back, but then it's like, they were like, no, nah, two days is in a row, man, is enough. She's going to burn out. Um, well, let's talk about puppy daycare burnout. <laughs> apparently, dogs start biting other dogs when they just, they're just like that overstimulated for that <laughs> long period. It's just, they just operate on pure adrenaline. Um, They've had enough of their system. Yeah. The system. <laughs> but it was interesting. It was a, such a great conference. Mm-hmm. So from the start, so when you when you roll up, um, and so I was the first time, this is the first time I've been to this conference and you roll up mm-hmm. and you realize that they've given you an orange lanyard and the I- and everyone else is in a blue lanyard. And the idea mm-hmm. is that it identifies you as a first timer and they make a big, they make a big thing about it saying like, we're here. We want everyone here to have a really nice experience. If you see someone standing alone with an orange, um, uh, lanyard, or you see anyone standing alone, go introduce yourself, say hi, um, you know, it was a really from the get go, a friendly, open atmosphere. Mm. Lovely, and that was nice because, you know, it is it is pretty, it is pretty like oh dear, like who do I talk to? You know, mm. when you first roll up, you don't you might not know many people, and there were a lot of senior people there who would, who would you know they'd see me looking at a poster and they'd just come and have a chat, and I wasn't mm-hmm. exactly standing alone, confused. But you definitely get to see the other first timers, and you're like, "Ah, oh, you're first time too, hey." So, <laughs> so it was immediately like so much, so many icebreakers there. Um, mm. But the overall sort of just feel of the conference was welcoming. Mm. That everyone was there was just there to sort of learn have chats there were lots of people that were coming in that were you know talking just talking about the work and the experience that they were having and they were sort of sharing a lot and it was there to sort of not be like oh my god i'm really struggling or like or like just a, a dump it was not there um to sort of show off it was just people just connecting over these sort of struggles because 
as a field, pain is really, it's got an underdog status. Hmm. And, you know, in comparison to, this is, a, this is a smaller conference, it is a smaller society, it is also multidisciplinary. And so it's in this really weird spot. So it just it's just created this amazing sort of following of people that were very open. They had a, a session, uh, which I jumped in on, which is what I realized specifically for sort of researchers. And it was literally just, they had a whole bunch of keynote speakers, which were all researchers and they sat them all around in small groups and you just joined a small group and they're like, here is this incredibly like senior, like tenured professor who's just kicking goals. And now you can ask them questions about anything. They're like open books. <laughs> and it was just like, whoa. Because, you know, at other conferences, there's sort of the, everyone sort of is in these groups or you don't see the keynote speakers just mm. wandering around having, having a chat. We went to karaoke afterwards, after the gala. And that's where you ask your questions through song. <laughs> <laughs> you serenaded them, didn't you? <laughs> uh, no, it was a very confusing experience. Let me tell you that all of a sudden, like, cause they just invited everyone. They just said, by the way, like everyone at the gala and like this, like 250 person audience, they said, we're all going to karaoke and we all descended oh, wow. upon the bus depot at this karaoke place with one dude at the front desk who was immediately overwhelmed. <laughs> Golly. But it was just that, that sort of just speaks to the, the, mm. the atmosphere. And there was a very much a sense of belonging. There was a very much sense of just calm and everyone was open to questions, open to chats. Like we could go up to people afterwards and, and feel like when we're asking questions, that the questions that they were responding constructively that, you know, mm. when I was talking about things or asking questions, like absolutely send me an email. And so, and, you know, I've gotten responses back. Mm. It's and to sort of draw upon other people's sort of reflections as well. When I started sharing this, I was like, this just feels like a really nice, calm conference. You know, people were talking about stories of being at other conferences and the questions that were asked at the end of, mm. at the end of presentations weren't actually questions. They were just statements about how this junior, like PhD researchers, all of their work is wrong and they're dumb mm. in front of a large audience. Mm. Yeah. And I was just It sounds, like, mm. I'm sorry. No, no, I was going to say, it was, just, it was nuts to hear that. Mm. It sounds like egalitarian. It sounds like that, that sense of not better than and worse than, you know, like that power differential that we're so aware happens in healthcare and can be perpetuated up the academia ranks or, you know, just the experiential ranks, it sounds. What I'm hearing in your words is this sense of that's or more of, that's, that's a weird word, more sort of, um, yeah, egalitarian or a sense of sort of on the same page or collaboration or something around that that feels quite different to perhaps other other sort of um, learning environments. Mm. It felt like no one was really there to say, like present their work in a way and sort of, or defend their work in a way. It was all mm. like, how are we all learning? And I think so much of that goes back to sort of what we're talking about where we sort of create these sort of ideas structures, things of right and wrong. Mm. And that's what you just have to practice. And sort of, mm. we're not letting people, there wasn't a, there wasn't a point of questioning or asking questions or, or thinking and trying to, you know, struggling. It was a case of this is what I have done and this is what I have shown and this is what you will follow. Mm. So can I ask then as an experience for you to go into this conference and really notice um, this sort of different way of interacting and connecting and paying attention to newbies and, you know, what, I suppose my question is like, what part of you came forward or was tapped into that perhaps isn't in those courses where they're kind of just telling you what you should know? Like, was there part of you that kind of was no, like excited or, you know, what was, what was the impact on you? So it didn't 
completely changed my behavior because I'm also one of those obnoxious people that will always ask a question regardless. Um, um, pro- probably yeah. what was what was <laughs> different in the recent years when people give like terrible, like hyper defensive answers. Or, well, I shouldn't say that. I would say like ingenuine answers or answers that are mm. sort of just like, how dare you sort of question this or me or like that sort of stuff. I'd like turn around and make a face to everyone. I'd be like, what's this? Um, right. So I, I that's, that's sort of my natural disposition. I think what was really, really nice about it was coming into a space where you're like, this is very new. This is very... Um, so as an example, I presented it at a conference. So I was a presenter and I rolled up and having the, you know, the, the, the band and everything and everyone was sort of just in their own groups and you sort of felt lost. Mm. Whereas here it sort of felt like all of a sudden you come in and you belong mm. and you're just like, and my people yeah. was kind of the, the vibe. Mm. And if, if I can ask, like what, what told you maybe in not just a um, uh, a thought way, but like what told you that you felt that you belonged? Like if you went to your whole embodied experience and kind of brought all of your intelligence in, what what did you notice? Like was there a you know relaxing in your body, or you know give a couple of examples there, or you're more likely to like you said not defend an answer, or what did you notice? So. Going into conferences, it's such a different space. And I think everyone talks about how hard networking is. Mm. And so you sort of went in going, you know, how, who are you speaking to? What's happening? Like you, you're just thinking a lot about how to act in this weird environment. Kind of performing. Yeah. But like also one that you have no experience in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you see so you, you without all of your trusty sort of tools and you know i mean it's you think about how that's how you know other people come across as ingenuine and i wonder how much of that is also just the fact that you know they are performing but in you know perform over performing or performing in a way that's not as not as natural Mm. but that was sort of all gone it was just like okay i'm in this space wandering around i'm looking at things i'm listening to people talk i'm asking questions it just sort of felt like just being relaxed mm-hmm. you know when you saw someone you're like oh hey you know you like it just felt like it felt like a cool place to be it felt like a really nice place to be and where other times yeah it feels like you have to sort of you're machining trying mm-hmm. control or you're thinking ahead of what are you doing how you're doing it so perhaps like in what i'm hearing in your kind of reflection is less thoughts in that way where I'm like, shit, I've got to cover all angles here because I'm not sure what's coming at me and I might have to respond this way for this person and this like, so all of that sort of over preparation or that kind of, even kind of slightly, um, do I want to use the word like upregulated or a bit of anxious sort of flight response, sort of, uh, you know, perceiving potential threats, if you like, mm. and and figuring out how I'm going to problem solve around them and having my um, you know, my tools ready, which mm-hmm. does that, does that kind of land with you? Does that feel true or is that? Yeah, no, I think, I think it's, I'm thinking of sort of, you, you get into a conference and you sort of like, where do you sit? Yeah. It's like, where, where, where do you go? Where do you sit? Whereas here, you know, I, I just, you know, you just go, you just sit anywhere. Someone sits next to you, you say, Hey, you have this really like nice long, I had a really nice long chat with just a anaesthetist who just like sat next to me at the conference and we just had just started talking about experiences with patients and work. And I'm just like, you just don't, Mm. just don't get that, that openness. Openness. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you're at lunch and all the lunches were standing up and you just sort of got food and you just like, you just have a chance to go, oh, you know, what have you been listening to that's interesting? And like, you could start a whole conversation. It felt really easy. Sounds like also that sense of um, like generative listening is what I'm hearing a bit of. Like it's not that listening where you're listening to have an answer or you're listening to tell someone that they're wrong. You know, that really deeper listening where we're actually both involved in like, I don't know, and I'm interested in what comes up for you. And, oh, actually, 
this is what I'm now realizing from your words, you know, which is a really open, you know, to do generative listening, you've got to have a real intentionality of, of not knowing and a beginner's mind and this other person I'm going to learn from them because they're another human with awesome insight. You know, it, that's what I'm hearing as well in your words. Well, that's a really interesting sort of point because when you think about, you know, it's a multidisciplinary con- conference mm-hmm. and it's around a topic and pain spe- specifically is a topic where like we don't know everything. Mm. It's very clear that we don't. It's very clear that we're all fairly beginner at this as a matter of how advanced that you get. There's lots more research and, and studies to be done that we all are kind of fumbling through to a certain degree. Um, and so there is just this, I think that's where a lot of it comes to is that there's so much of that shared intent. We think about, you know, a lot of other places that we learn and, and conferences and places is that everyone sort of has their group, has their mm. pack. Pack, I, you know, I knew, uh, you know, when I'm thinking about other conferences I've been to, I've known of groups that come together and just use it as a as a tax write-off uh, for all of them to get together and have a big, big sort of re, what is it, gathering of all of these people, you know, from the, how mm. they've all spread across the country. They're all like, great, it's a conference. We can all get together. We go on shopping trips. We do, you know, we get our CPD done at the same mm. time. You know, it just becomes a trip. And... It's interesting because if you think about new people in the profession or people trying to find their place to belong or their tribe or people to talk to, Mm. where do they go Mm. if not to conferences? Mm. If we have this environment that, you know, just encourages people to sort of get a bit shocked and sort of stick together with who they know and or only sort of branch out, you know, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. And I think what's randomly just come into my brain was actually an experience I had in my wellbeing masters, um, which was pre-COVID. But I remember we had two years and the first year was, you know, 65 of us in a room and it was, it was really awesome learning and the environment again was different. Um, Lots of autonomy, lots of discussion, lots of, I don't know, by the lecturers. But it was really interesting. Again, it had a little bit of that tribe sense for me. That was my experience of it. And um, <clears throat> in second year, they said, oh, we've got too many people. We need to split the group. And it was really interesting watching like the human dynamics, right? Because most people didn't want to split from the buddies that they'd met in year one because, you know, I suppose there was belonging and there was a sense of, um, you know, when people learn together, they don't like, it's like being in year two and you don't want to be split up with your best mate. That's what it reminded me of. And it was really fascinating because I I put my hand up to go to the, the next group because I actually was like, it's going to be smaller. That's going to be better conversations with the facilitator. Um, you know, again, depending who's there, we could have really different conversations that when you're in a large group and you've got, you know, 60 people trying to ask a question, you might only get two. Um, anyway, there was only about think we got about 15 in the second group and about you know 45 stayed in the other big one but um the conversations we had in second year were so much more generative I thought because we'd have like all of us would have something to say and the facilitator we felt like did more kind of um uh listen to what we were saying went off track more and then we just had this sense of learning that felt um, a lot more deeper and a lot more um like we still covered the content but the way we did it, it felt like we knew each other way more intimately and were then more likely to ask again more deeper questions or comment on someone and, and, and go with curiosity. Um, and it just made me think again around group size as well um, and how that might influence. And, but then also the people who wanted to put their hand up to go into the, to the smaller group, I think, had more of an intentionality around, well, I want to perhaps I'm thinking about my learning as well, not just my buddies. Mm. Um, but again, that sort of, not tribe mentality so much, but that sense of I want to stick close to the people as my first point of call. That comfort. Yeah. So, and safety, I can imagine, I get it. Like, I get it. But it was interesting, I think, just watching it play out. Um, yeah. Mm. That's no, what came in for me. <laughs> I think it's the, the comfort and safety are the two things I draw out that there's, there's, it's interesting because we're creating learning environments that don't 
naturally create the comfort and safety or that people sort of want to stick within those 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 bounds which is not, there's nothing wrong with but it's what we yeah, have what we just it's it's literally what we're highlighting is that we're seeing that in so many different locations mm. throughout life and if we're not having this openness how mm. are people feeling about belonging or finding a space if people are willing to say well i'm not willing to risk going out there because if I go out there, I don't know what I'm going to come back with. You know, people, everyone could be shitty. Everyone could be closed off. I could be the black sheep. I could be sitting out. Well, just even that, the risk of mm. taking a step outside of comfort or tribe or, you know, this is where we come back again into into our healthcare stuff mm. and around, you know, full circle to the beginning about it being developmentally appropriate to challenge what people are telling us and mm. not in a way that is burning stuff down again, but the developmental process of going, I need to understand this in a different way, or I need to arrive at my own um, decisions or my own understanding to be able to develop my, not just my critical thinking, but also, also like, you know, um, ethical decision-making or all these other complex gray areas that we have to navigate in this field. Then you bring in like complexity of pain, you know, Mm. it's so layered. Well, the thing I'm thinking about, two things that I sort of uh, was thinking about before that I, that I sort of didn't bring up. One was the outcome of like the courses, the outcome of teaching, the outcome of presenting is getting through the material. It's not actually what change do I want to influence in the individual? Mm, or controllable. Or, yeah, or how is this actually impacting me? That will, a shift in me will actually allow a shift in the, the relationship or what I do, like actually seeing our shifts as change as well, mm. which I think we miss when we always look for how am I going to create something for the patient or the client, where, as you know, something, even just us being fuzzy about something where we were really black or white before is a shift, is a change, isn't it? Well, and that's it. Yeah, and we see people become so much more confident. I think it was Dan, it's Dan Arbella, he was posting... Hi, Something Dan. on the oh yeah, hi Dan. Uh, on the knowledge exchange, I think he posted a, a study that I'm still uh, reading through, but it was people mm. seeing like the instructors struggle with concepts mm. or seeing them make mistakes and not be a perfect person created a huge amount, much more sort of confidence. Yeah, in the individuals because they're starting to now see oh you know it isn't just black and white, and it's interesting because I think of a patient who came to me the other day who went to a to a surgeon. And left confused because mm-hmm. it was around um, uh, osteoporosis, uh, also with our osteopenic, but they started developing all these sort of weird bone stress reactions and they weren't sure, mm. you know, should we be weight bearing or non weight bearing while we're in the boot and what should we be doing and how do we make this decision? And the patient left confused. And mm. there was there's sort of a point of, you know, being open about your fuzziness, but there's also being a way where we were still talked about and we went well I didn't didn't really know I still don't really know I'm not going to know more than the surgeon about this Mm. I'm not going to know more about the surgeon sorry and the endocrinologist and the like the whole team that she had but it was more just like okay what is the pros what's the cons what's the risks Mm. and we just and we ended up going well you know here is the here is the answer that's best for you because it turned around she just didn't mind the boot she was like yeah Mm. I walk really well in the boot it's all really good I'm not getting any pain really when I'm in the boot mm. walking. So I'm like, great. There's the answer. There, there is there is a nuanced answer, at least for this moment, mm-hmm. that we're going to deal with. And then, mm. you know, give me a call if that changes. And then we'll we'll change it there. Yeah. So like there's still there's there's like being fuzzy and being being unsure and talking things through. And then there's just sort of being like almost giving up. Well, I don't know. Yeah, but I think that I think that piece around being fuzzy together, mm. that that to me is the crucial step around it being okay to be fuzzy, and what do we know, you know? So I think that again, that what I'm hearing in your words, and correct me if I'm if I'm on the wrong track here, but you know, you at the pain conference is that being in it together around pain being complex, and you know, we all don't all know and. And we're all trying here and we've got some cool research and we all want to question like that being together in that sense of 
we're good humans trying here and we don't know. Mm. And that's not giving up. That's like the reality of it, right? But there's actually a shared experience there Mm. that I think is so important in that really not performative way to connect through, but that really genuine. And you can sense that, right? You know when that's that's a healthy, you know, real connection in that. I think that's really powerful because that speaks to exactly your point about the the presenter or the the, the senior clinician or the the other you know the other person mm. is if we're seeing other people struggle and be fuzzy but then still and how they manage it it's creating model for the other person to be like okay like I can see other people are struggling the struggling is not just me they're not believing the facade other people put on they can go ah. If that person's still struggling with it, but, you know, he's working through their answers and their thoughts and they're sort of reaching a conclusion, you not only get the benefit of that conclusion and the benefit of that, that interaction, but it, it can bring you alongside that person and say, well, we're struggling with this together. That gives that, mm. the, that gives the student confidence. That's literally what we saw in that study. And it, it arrives at a much better conclusion because then it creates a much more collaborative environment. Totally. Totally. And, and again, I, you know, like the, that paper, it sounds like says, you know, like if I can see a model, uh, a role model or a facilitator showing me a pathway to be with struggle and showing me how they then come into their, um, you know, um, their brain around like, what can we do here or what they take into account even in that. Like, I think that's such rich learning for me. I just love watching facilitators facilitate really. Like I realized, I didn't realize that's what I was doing, but when I went to like the World Pos Psych conference thing, um, I had a poster up that baffled people. Um, people thought I was going to put a poster up with like graphs and stuff, and I just put my wise like picture image up and let people look at it. <laughs> anyway, at that conference, I just went and watched people present because I was really keen to see how they presented, how they taught, how they took questions, how they answered them, how they, how they sat in the not knowing, you know, how they paused, um, how they interacted with the audience. Like I really got an understanding of, oh, that's what I'm actually here watching is the, that sort of relationship or that relational piece around learning and teaching. Um, and I, and that's what I now understand I look for is I want to hang around people who to me have an aspirational way of teaching. Um, that it's different to, you know, what I've had in my undergrad, and um, and I'm getting some lovely experience of that in my in my current study, which is lovely to sit with, um, you know, acknowledge they're fallible humans; they make mistakes too, which is great. Um, and we've also got this space to actually explore it, which just feels like really, it just feels really um, luxurious sometimes to be able to actually comment on like every reflection we do at Hakomi, I do a reflection on the teaching method because mm. that's what's so forefront for me. Um, and I could speak more on this another time, but the other thing that's just doing beautiful, beautiful work for me is around how we're being supervised, which is just a mind-blowingly different experience to how you did your OSPE exams in physio or you were, you know, watched uh, while you worked with a with a patient, you know, or a fake patient. So there's just, I think there's just so much to explore around this that um, not only helps us, but helps the client and helps healthcare. Um, I feel like I could talk for days. Mm. Well, there's the other thing I was going to bring up as well that sort of came up at actually at the conference itself was this study that showed that individuals, when they were communicating with a person in front of them. So they did like an interview mm-hmm. and then they were compared to an, to doing an interview just with a robot. So they were just inserting ah. things into a computer. They found that people were so much more open with their answers mm-hmm. talking to the computer mm-hmm. or talking to even a robot, which was like, like an, like a robotic face or like a, like a, you know, obviously like projected um, you know, rope like face on on an iPad, mm. not a real one. And it was interesting because they were sort of bringing it up as a point of, um, you know, people aren't going to tell you everything. Mm-mm. And 
it's interesting because when we think talking about facilitation and learning and getting all of the, how people are uh, running these sort of sessions and getting these reflections and handling them, I guess a point that we probably should finish on looking at the time mm-hmm. is like how, how rather than getting better at the medicine, how we can be creating an environment where people can feel much more comfortable sharing and reflecting because I wonder how many of our answers, how many of our struggles will be solved by having more information on the individual, having more Mm. understanding because we've created an environment and we've created a relationship that allows much more sharing, much more rapport, much more trust that there is also then potentially more of an openness in both of the us as the facilitator in a way and the patient as a, as, as a, as someone who is seeking assistance for the problem that we, that there's much flexibility in both of us to find solutions. And yeah, that's, Mm. that's sort of what really comes up for me. Yeah. And I'm not going to try and answer that because that's a whole, you know, 72 hours worth. (laughs) Was there a question in it or was it more of a, I think it was more of like, here's my thought, but I'm going to phrase it as a one, as I wonder, because we don't know. And I could be wrong. No, no, that's good. I just wasn't sure. I didn't remember the beginning part of it where you said, like, can you comment or. No, I I, I said we should finish on. So it's very good that you're sort of talking about the time constraints because I'm also looking at the time. Okay. Well, I think it's, yeah, I think there's a, it's a great point to maybe we can go away and obviously we always think about it, but maybe we can reflect on it on our first one next time or something. We should write that down. Yeah, you, you, I'm sure you'll write that down, won't you? I'll write that down. But I'll listen to this podcast back again, whereas you won't do that. So, As, as, a, <laughs> as, as something people probably don't know is that while I am editing the podcast and putting it all together, I do it solely on waveforms. I don't like to listen really to the podcast and, again. I don't like to hear what I've said. And yet every time I will ask you, did you listen? <laughs> <laughs> I love your answers though. Um, I love them. No, why would I? <laughs> I said it. Why Why do I need to listen to myself say something? I already know it. Uh, go. <laughs> Well, that was a that was a cool discussion. Thank you for that. No, no thank you. I don't, I don't. I think it was. It's interesting how, like, as a as sort of a reflection now, it's interesting how we sort of come in potentially with a, like, even a very loose topic where it's like, do you have a reflection? Oh, yeah, I have a reflection. What is it? Oh, it's. I think it's around this. And you're like, okay, cool. And then we go off on a complete tangent that, nothing to do with that. But then I like somehow still relates really nicely. We came back to it. We did. And you wouldn't even know. You wouldn't even know that we didn't, we didn't plan it at all. No. A case in point for not scripting and performing your consults. How good is not performing? Let's just hang out right now and not performing. (laughs) It's pretty good, isn't it? It is nice. Okay. Mm. Even though a bit scary. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. We do the marketing thing now? Like the we, do, we do the marketing thing. <laughs> now I put on my performer. I was going to say. Thank you, everyone, hats. for listening to the podcast. We need marketing hats or something, like physically put a hat on. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a cap here. But no, it, yes. But as a, as, a, as a point, I will try and do as an, in a non-performative way. Thank you for listening. The people who have made it this far, especially. We've been Real Clinicians, Real Chats. I'm Alex Murray. I'm Kate Wisdom. You can follow us Facebook, Instagram. Uh, Real Clinicians, Real Chats. Yes, this is all true. Yes. Where can people follow you, Kit? Uh, I am wisephysiotherapy.com.au, uh, Wise Ways Kit on Instagram, and Wise Physio on the book of face. Did you get that? No, I did not. There's there's no more TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You can find me, um, The Rehab Podiatrist, Facebook, Instagram, uh, The Rehab Pod on 
Twitter. You can also find me on, on TikTok, The Rehab Podiatrist, as well. Yeah, until next month. Goodbye.